You are listening to WRFG Atlanta, 89.3 FM. Up next, Alternative Perspectives, Atlanta's only queer radio hour. Hold on tight. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Today is June the 7th. Uh, It is evening. And I hope that you are enjoying the beginning of a week in June, the first full week of Pride Month. Yes, it is Pride. Um, You are listening to WRFG Atlanta 89.3 FM. Welcome to Atlanta's own radio Hour devoted exclusively to issues affecting Atlanta's queer community. The name of the show is Alternative Perspectives, and I am your host, Greg Bosson. Thank you so much for listening. The opinions expressed here are those of myself and my guests, and of course, do not necessarily represent the views of WRFG, its employees, board volunteers, funders, or listeners. However, I always am right, so. You don't really need to worry about uh, anything I say. You can just basically assume is fact. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. <clears throat> it's my opinion, as is the opinion of my guest. And we do have a guest tonight. Um, his name is Carlos Agende, and he is a media psychology scholar. But more importantly for the show tonight, he is a writer of fiction. He already has two novels out Um this third one, he has it actually has not been released yet. It's due to be released uh, for public consumption on June the 22nd, uh, which is a couple of weeks away. But we have an advanced copy. I've read the book. It's his newest book. It's called Coffee, Shopping, Murder, and Love. Um, and it is a hilarious book. Uh, it's a dark comedy that tells the story of two gay men, Charlie and Jegnish. Jignus, uh, and the unlikely and unusual relationship that they form. Uh, but there's a lot of murder in there. <laughs> You'll see. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a great book. It's hilarious. I read it in one day. Uh, and it actually is rather poignant at points as well. Nothing like making fun of ourselves, uh, which is kind of what this book is at least partially about. Uh, so I'm excited to have Carlos uh, on the show. But before we do that, news of the queer. Uh-uh. I know that's right. Oh, no, she didn't say what. And I want to start with, <clears throat> this is really unfortunate. Uh, this is in LaGrange, Georgia, uh, LaGrange Academy. Uh, and this is an article that came out uh, last week in the Georgia Voice that I wanted to uh, point uh, uh, kind of highlight on the show here um a gay straight alliance this is a youth group at lagrange academy uh, lagrange academy is a private pre-k through 12 school in west georgia has allegedly faced several roadblocks from the cool admi- school administration that bears striking resemblance to don't say gay legislation so uh, let's go through this So it all started in December of last year when students from the local chapter of the National Honor Society did a project 
painting a little free library in town. That's that little mini kind of looks like it's on a, a post for a mailbox, but it has little books, it has books in it. You can take a book and leave a book. I'm sure you've seen them around town. Um, anyway, on the front was the name of the school. And one student in particular painted a rainbow on the top of the library. Well, a parent called to complain. So the student had to paint over the rainbow. All right. Um, and this resulted in several students calling a meeting with the head of the school to discuss starting a gay straight student alliance. Uh, and the student said, if we can't do this, can we at least create a group where we can have members of the LGBTQ community and allies come together? They were told by the head of the school, yes, but that was December. And here we are in June and it still hasn't happened. Uh, when we came back to school in January after Christmas, we tried to get the group off the ground and we were we were told we had to jump through a lot of hoops and we weren't uh, and a lot of hoops that subsequently they found out hoops that never existed. We were told you have to have formal permission to start a club, which was actually never a thing before we uh, were asked to put up flyers so people knew the club existed. Um, uh, uh, we only asked if we could, uh, and we were told, yes, we did. And then the, all the flyers were immediately taken down and there was a constant back and forth of yes, but no, uh, the teacher told Georgia voice that we had a meeting with the head of the school where they were allegedly told that there was no protocol set in place for clubs to be established. So then the teacher's like, well, can you please tell us what the protocol is for starting a club? So that for the future, we know, and the answer was, we don't have a protocol. You guys are help us, helping us to form it now. So how, are, and then how are we messing up a process that doesn't exist? Uh, so this keeps uh, occurring. Uh, let's see, I'm, I want to say a little bit more on this. The GSA is only open to high school students and is currently made up only of sophomores and seniors. However, because the school encompasses all grades from pre-K and on, the club was allegedly told that having the word gay in the yearbook would be problematic for parents and students in the lower school. Again, you're not allowed to say the word gay. I got an email from the head of the school specifically saying we're in pre-K through 12, and our lower school parents are the ones who need to make the decision about whether they're going to explain what homosexuality is to their kids. And that's the reason we need to take these things down. That's a very much don't say gay message, if you ask me. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, people want to say on the right that you're too young to introduce a kid to homosexuality. It's not appropriate, and the parents should decide. Well, if you think about it, children are exposed to heterosexuality from as young as six months of age, you know, a year, two years. Anytime, all you got to do is turn on a Disney movie, and you will see men kissing women. They are exposed to that from almost the time that they are born. but can you imagine if there was a book in a school or a picture somewhere of a 
a cartoon picture of two princes kissing or two princesses kissing. That would be kicked out of the school because it's too young to talk about homosexuality. And, you know, I would say to that, that that's old thinking. You know, if you think about it, what what would happen if you did have pictures or movies in children's entertainment that had two men or two women kissing? Who would that hurt? Would that hurt straight children? Would that confuse straight children? Would that be a problem? I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any particular way that a straight child would be hurt by being exposed to the fact that not everyone is straight. There are some people that's gay that are gay and there's actually nothing wrong with it. Okay. It's not confusing. If you explain it from the beginning, love is love. It's not confusing at all. The only reason why it's confusing is because we live in a society that has told us for hundreds of years that something is wrong. Something's not right about being gay. Then explaining that actually it is okay. Well, yeah, I could see that's confusing. But if you started by saying there's nothing wrong with it and here's a man and a woman and here's a man and a man and there's nothing wrong with it. I don't think you'd hurt any straight people. I also don't think that any straight children would turn gay as a result. I don't think that's how that works. But on the other hand, by not having this information in school, by not having this kind of exposure to healthy gay relationships like children are exposed to straight relationships all the time by not having that exposure i can guarantee you that it hurts our gay community it certainly hurt me when i was growing up so anyway uh, i'll get off my soapbox for now but just food for thought all right but this month is pride uh now, we know that Atlanta's Pride isn't happening right now. That's in October, I believe. However, Pride is coming to northwest Georgia at the end of the month, June 24 to 26. Uh, P-Flag Rome is bringing LGBTQ support and celebration to northwest Georgia this month with its inaugural Pride Festival from June 4th to June 26th. Lynn Green is the president and founder of P-Flag Rome. Um, started the organization after her child came out as transgender. And it was then when she realized Northwest Georgia, that Northwest Georgia was what she calls an LGBTQ support desert. And she wanted to do something about it. So I think that's awesome. The three-day festival kicks off on Friday, June the 24th, with a ticketed comedy and drag event at a club called The Vogue. The show will feature local drag troupe, the Sizzlers Sister, the Sizzling Sisters of Rome, as well as performers from Atlanta, Tennessee, and Alabama. So, oh wow, the the day, uh, let's see, Saturday. There's an, actually a 90 minute Rome riverboat cruise at 6:30, which will include champagne, charcuterie. I don't think I said that right, charcuterie, uh, and desserts and a drag show. Oh, wow, that's really cool. So you can uh, check it out. Uh, Again, it's called Rome Pride. 
because it's Rome, Georgia, uh, 2022. So check that out. I think that's really kind of cool. Now, even though the major Pride event is not happening yet uh, in Atlanta, that's later on, probably in October, there are Pride events hosted by the Atlanta Pride Committee this month. Uh, As a matter of fact, this past weekend, uh, the Atlanta Pride run was held. I think there was over 1,000 people that uh, did the 5K walk and run, uh, dedicated to bringing the community together to have fun, be active, and support a wonderful and diverse community. So that's awesome. Uh, June 9th and the 11th, uh, a opera called As One uh, is being performed. It's a poignant, comedic, and uplifting show that weaves a coming-of-age story of Hannah, a transgender woman, into the universal struggle to live your own truth. Presented in an intimate performance space and score for two singers and string quartet as one delivers a potent reflection of modern life through stunning words and music from award winners. Uh, Laura Kaminsky, Mark Campbell, and Kimberly Reed. Okay, so that's on the 9th and 11th. And these things I'm going to be talking about, you can simply go into the Atlanta Pride Committee's website and uh, find out about where you can go to get tickets for these things, but that's at the Atlanta Opera. Uh, On June 13th, The Sound of Identity is a film screening. Uh, Sound of Identity is a unique history-making feature-length documentary. It features the first ever transgender woman performing an opera lead in the U.S. with a professional company and a standard work. Wow, so there's a lot of opera stuff going on this month. (laughs) Uh, June 16th, in partnership with Emory University, uh, Caring for Our Own LGBTQ Plus Dementia Resources with Emory University. This event will be presented by cognitive neuroscientist Dr. Whitney Wharton in efforts to expand knowledge about dementia in the LGBTQ Plus community and provide resources for practical application. And the theatrical outfit on June the 19th will once again be transformed into a 1950s Philadelphia jazz bar where the legendary Billie Holiday is giving one of her final performances. As she wows audiences with her iconic hits, Billie shares bittersweet stories about her life, painting a riveting and moving portrait of the lady whose music wove pain into beauty. I assume it's not actually Billie Holiday, but uh, someone performing as Billy Holiday, and that's on June 19th. All right, so that's uh, the going on, goings on of this month. All right, a couple more things. Florida moves to ban medical care from transgender youth. Now, this just happened uh, yesterday within hours of report issued last Thursday by the Florida Agency for Health Care Administration recommending state health officials disallow health care services for treatment of gender dysphoria for children and adolescents in the state, Republican Ron DeDuty Ball Santos uh, has asked the state board regulating doctors to essentially ban transition-related care. So uh, that is uh, unfortunate. Uh, so Florida is seeking to ban care of transgendered youth. All right. So that's happening. Not surprising at all. Uh, Seattle. Students at Seattle Pacific University have crossed the 300-hour mark of a sit-in 
over an anti-LGBTQ policy. The sit-in began in direct response to the school's board of trustees vote to reaffirm a policy which bans the university from hiring LGBTQ plus universities. Can you believe this? This is in 2022. Seattle Pacific University banned from hiring queer employees. The, quote, employee lifestyle expectations policy was voted in last month. However, the fight over banning same-sex employees stretches further back. Um, uh, Hugh Rinaldal uh, sued the school in 2021, accusing, accusing the university of rejecting his application for a full-time tenure job because he's gay. So he's since settled out of court. So shame on Seattle Pacific University. That's quite ridiculous. Let's see if we have any more time. We have time for uh, one more here. Um, House Republican lawmakers in Ohio passed a bill at 11.15 last Wednesday night uh, that would ban transgender girls and women from participating in high school and college athletics. We really need to do a show on this. Uh, It also comes with a verification process. That's the wild part. A verification process of actually checking the genitals of those accused of being trans. The Save Women's Sports Act, or House Bill 61, wasn't supposed to be on the schedule for legislatures originally. However, at the last minute, Republican representatives added the language to a completely different bill. So, And the bill would revise Ohio's teaching residency program trying to reduce state controls in school. The bill sponsored by Republican Don Jones from Freeport got a surprise addition. News 5's state house reporter Morgan Trowell tried to get the substitute bill numerous times during the session, but Democrats told her they didn't have it and had also been looking for it. Some Republicans said the same. Some didn't respond. It was finally sent to her the next afternoon while still not being posted online for the public to read. As of 8 p.m., having this third bill now slip through into an unrelated bill at the last moment is just such an additional slap in the face to our entire community. So awful. It's ridiculous. But anyway, so um, because it's Pride Month, uh, I've decided to end with I want to kind of highlight some of the what I would call gay anthems uh, that really support gay rights. And uh, one in particular that I wanted to highlight today, I'm going to do this uh, each week this month, but uh, one in particular I want to highlight today is uh, a song in 1994 uh, that was written by Calvin E. And it was performed by a band called Bronsky Beat. It's an openly gay band. And it describes the trap travails of growing up gay in an environment with under, without understanding. So listen to these words, and then we'll play a little bit and go to break. This is how it sounds. This is a dance song. It's a good dance song if you ever heard of Bronsky Beat. But listen to these words. Contempt in your eyes when I turned to kiss his lips. Broken, I lie, all my feelings denied, and blood on your fist. Can you tell me why? Can you tell me why? Can you tell me why? Can you tell me why you, in your false securities, 
tear up my life condemning me. I think that's amazing. Let's listen to it as we go to break, and we'll be right back with our guest. Bronsky beat, tell me why. Uh, and I wanted to play at least uh, to the part where uh, the chorus is you and me together fighting for our love, which is basically what we've been doing all of these years that we've been fighting for our, uh, our rights. Uh, that was in 1994. And with that, we will be right back.
You are listening to WRFG Atlanta. WRFG provides a voice for those who have been traditionally denied access to the broadcast media through the involvement of a broad base of community elements to guarantee that access. In the utilization of the facilities and in its programs, the following communities will receive first priority. Those who continue to be denied free and open access to the broadcast media and those who suffer oppression or exploitation based upon class, race, sex, age, creed, sexual orientation, disability, or immigrant status. To learn how you can support WRFG's mission, please go to WRFG.org. All right, and we are back. Uh, that was uh, Daft Punk, for those of you that are paying attention around the world, uh, which I love that song. And I was kind of inspired because of the author that we're going to be talking to today, because the book that he's written, um, there's actually uh, characters in it from uh, different places in the world, which is one of the things I was going to ask you, um, Carlos. But anyway, for those of you that are just... Uh, tuning in, you're listening to WRFG Atlanta 89.3 FM. Welcome to Alternative Perspectives. Uh, this is, again, Atlanta's only uh, local uh, radio hour devoted exclusively to issues affecting the queer community. I'm your host, Greg Bosson, and uh, thank you so much for listening. So tonight we have a special guest, uh, an author. His name is Carlos Agenda. Uh, hopefully I said that right, Carlos. Um, and, oh, good. Uh, and uh, Carlos is a media psychology scholar uh, and a writer of fiction. And by the way, Carlos, I did get the reference. There was a reference in the book to a media psychology scholar. And I saw you put that in the book somewhere. It's like uh, something like media psychology. I don't know what the person does. And I was like, okay, he's talking yeah. about himself here. I thought that was cute. But anyway, uh, he has written uh, two previous novels, uh, one of which, what is the name of that, Carlos? Because I don't want to mispronounce it. Uh, quadrillas. That's only in Spanish. Cuadrillas y contradanzas. Okay. This is this book was only written in Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's no translation yet. Okay. Uh, that's a historical melodrama set during the War of Reform in Mexico, and uh, Love or the Witches of Windward Circle, uh, which is a horror farce set in Venice, California. Uh, based on his research on narrative persuasion and audience engagement, uh, he has developed a course called The Psychology of Compelling Storytelling, uh, which he teaches in the writer's program at UCLA Extension. He lives in Santa Monica with his husband. Thank you so much, Carla, for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, and I'm excited, too, because... Um, this is your third book that's coming out. It's called Coffee, Shopping, Murder, Love. Uh, and uh, I've written my own little summary of it, Carlos. Uh, a, a campy, dark comedy that tells the story of the intersection of two gay men, Charlie and Jigdis. Am I saying that right? Jigdis? Jignesh. 
Jignesh. Jignesh. Well, that sounds like there's an N in it. Is that how the how it's pronounced? Yeah, Jig- there is an Nesh. Jignesh. You get uh, it with a D? Oh, yes. Okay, yes, there is an N in it. Okay, I didn't see that right. All right. Um, and the unlikely and unusual relationship they form. Uh, two gay men, Charlie, an overtly effeminate and irreverent young man looking for love. And Jignesh, an older man, overweight, closeted, and profoundly bitter and unhappy. So this is a two, this is a, a story of these two uh, men. Um, but before we get into the book itself, which I read in one day, by the way, um, all 300 pages, and I am not a reader. Uh, so that says something to you're a very good writer, Carlos. Uh, you're very you. easy. You're very easy to digest. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's true for your personal life, but when it comes to your writing, <laughs> very easy well, to digest. Yeah, that's what I tell my students. The most important, well, not the most important, but one of the most important things when you write a book is to make it easy to understand. Mm-hmm. If yes. if a reader has to read twice a sentence, then that is a bad sentence. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a far cry from the last book I read, which was Death in Venice by Thomas Mann, which was like a quarter of the size and took me two weeks. So anyway, uh, (laughs) uh, I'd like uh, to start just so so I can know and then the listeners can also know a little bit about your history. Can you tell us a little bit about your, you know, your personal life? Where did you grow up? Um, What made you want to write? I guess the things Uh in your history that you important for readers to know as to how you got to where you are now yeah i was born in mexico city and uh i think i i grew up we didn't have many children books my mom didn't buy many she was a reader and she had a lot of uh novels romance novels and 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 i just remember i was thinking about this the other day she bought a lot of uh, uh comic books uh, there was this uh, magazine called uh, Lágrimas y Risas. No, Lágrimas, Risas y Amor. That we we call Lágrimas y Risas, which means uh, tears and laughters. And uh, there were these over-the-top uh, stories for adults, not pornographic, just adult uh, subjects. That, and some of them were transformed into telenovelas in Mexico, and they were very, very successful. And she also uh, was... Um, a fan of uh, Victoria Holt, who also wrote as Philippa Carr and Jean Plady. And uh, it's it's kind of weird, but she writes about the history of England and people living. Uh, she writes uh, uh, the story of the queens of England and um, historical fiction and all that. So I actually know a lot about uh, in, uh, English history because I grew up reading that as a child. And, <laughs> And because uh, my mother loved that author. And uh, then we moved to La Paz. And uh, somewhere in my um, early 20s, I discovered uh, Balzac's, uh, uh, what is the word, uh, human comedy. And uh, I just love that. I, I, I must have read at least half of it because it's a lot of books. In it, and Balzac is not super easy to digest, but he's my favorite author. So... Uh, we in Mexico have a, um, well, I'm in Los Angeles right now, but uh, Mexicans, we have a very different sense of humor from, from American sense of humor. Um, I mean, it, it's easy to understand and you can still laugh, but uh, we, uh, we love self-deprecating, tragic humor. And uh, 
and I guess I was influenced. It's a little bit that uh, it's not my favorite show, and I'm not saying that it's the best show on earth, but uh, I guess I was influenced by uh, Chespirito, uh, El Chavo del Ocho. Uh, those who are Hispanic will will recognize the name. Uh, he he uh, Chespirito had a show that was very popular all over Latin America. And it's also about poor people trying to survive, uh, but it's very, very funny. And I guess that's, that's, uh, I love uh, flawed, uh, poor uh, characters in, in Big Disadvantage. I'm not a fan of uh, superhero stories, winners and all that. And so right. that would be, say as, as my biggest influence. I, I write about the, uh, disenchanted the uh, tragic direct those whose entire life has been a tragedy well that's actually uh well that's certainly what's happening here with both of these characters uh <laughs> charlie and uh and uh Jignes. but um it's interesting because the book starts with a prologue and mm-hmm. the prologue it's a short prologue but I'm reading the prologue and I'm thinking, is this the author? Which is, I'm assuming, I'm not sure if you thought that that's what people would think, but, and I did, I did want to read something in particular, just the last paragraph. This is, um, I, I, I see later, um, Charlie, uh, one of the characters, uh, he's writing about traumatic incidents where he was picked on, uh, and, uh, kind of, brutally uh when he was growing up so traumatic and and this kind of i resonate with this by the way carlos um uh being gay myself and um not being picked on in this way but anyway i'm going to read this um because i thought it was particularly poignant um traumatic incident number 56 i reminisce snuggling my head on the sand being shoved into the girl's room and once there getting punched unconscious by samantha hogg You would think that self-loathing doesn't help, but it actually does. Ask any gay person. It is as if when you're terribly sad and disheartened, as I am right now, waiting to die, lost and forgotten, betrayed by the man whom you hoped would pull you out of poverty, something inside your own body soothes you. The more you feel sorry for yourself, the better it feels. There's beauty in sadness. Why else would you keep watching reruns of Old Yeller? It must have something to do with the chemicals in your brain. Self-pity is addictive. Um, and that really resonated to me. There's a, there's a, um, and, and this book is a humorous, light book. I mean, it's dark, dark comedy, but it's light. So I don't want the readers to think that it's, you know, that it's, it's some deep exploration. But I thought that was pretty powerful. And I wondered, is this, is this your experience, Carlos, when you were growing up? Uh, n- not as tragic as, as Charlie. I guess uh, all of us gays have felt uh, self-pity and we have felt rejected and abandoned. And especially, uh, this is a book for older gays. Like, I would say 40 and older are my target audience. Because mm-hmm. we were born at a time where you had no hope of marrying uh, the man you loved, or even, I mean, we were born before the internet. We didn't know about other gay people. We discovered that little by little. And um, I'm not saying that uh, that it shouldn't be easy. It should be easy, uh, but new generations may not understand that because 
uh, they are they were born with the internet and they know that even if they uh, encounter rejection, uh, there are a lot of resources and, and they are aware of a lot of gay people and just being aware helps a lot. But uh, going back to the uh, uh, self-pity, um, I think, uh, well, it's part of my research. Uh, my doctoral dissertation was on the uh, motivational effect of compassion. When you feel compassion, you release uh, oxytocin and uh, uh, oxytocin uh, has an analgesic effect similar to opioids. And uh, I'm not sure exactly why, uh, what happens, because all of those neurochemicals are, are difficult to, uh, to measure, but they soothe you. And uh, oxytocin really, uh, reduces the stress of approaching someone else. So when you have self-pity, it's probably something similar. It kind of it's as if your body was trying to soothe you and 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 reduce the pain. Uh, we release opioids when we have an injury and when we're playing a game, for instance, and we're having a lot of fun and we have a, a, an injury and we don't realize until much later because our body releases opioids when we're having sex. Like, <laughs> we, hopefully, we all have that experience of being sore after. Uh, having had sex and but when we were having sex we enjoyed it a lot and uh, it's because we were releasing opioids so either we release opioids or we release oxytocin i think it's probably more oxytocin when we have a compassionate effect and that that reduces pain and i just thought it would be interesting to add it there and uh because uh i'm giving the boring scientific explanation and kind of incomplete but that's how you feel when you have self-pity. It's a little bit like like getting cozy with yourself and mm-hmm. self-protecting. I think it's beautiful, to be honest with you. And to be honest with you, it was probably one of the most poignant parts of the book. Um, and it, what's interesting to me is that, you know, there's a negative connotation when you think of the word self-pity or pity in general. But really, mm-hmm. you're talking about self-compassion. You know, you're talking yes. about loving yourself. Um, and, you know if you didn't have that or you don't have somebody to go to, you know, certainly when you're a child, you know, that's, and then a lot of us as adults, um, that's a way that you can soothe yourself, you know? So um, I thought it was powerful. I thought it was an interesting idea and I'm excited that uh, you actually have research around the scientific evidence of that. I think that's fascinating. I think that's really cool. Um, For those of you that are uh, just um, joining us, uh, we are um, talking to author Carlos Agenta, uh, Agenti, and uh, I'm, I'm trying. Agenda, yeah. Agenda, Agenda, uh, eh, eh, eh. Yeah. Um, about his new book, Coffee, Shopping, Murder, and Love. And we will be bite right back after this message. And now for a Public Affairs Bulletin Board announcement. Peace, Georgia family. This is Tone, the organizer. On Saturday, June 11th at 6 p.m., 
Campaigns to free our elder political prisoners will come together in a unified rally. Public support is needed to win the immediate release of our freedom fighters. Dr. Matulu Shakur, age 71, Imam Jamil Alamin, age 78, and Kamal Siddiqui, age 69, all of whom have life-threatening illnesses due to medical neglect. The Freedom Weekend Rally will be held at Malcolm X Park, 1111 Oak Street, Southwest Atlanta, Georgia, in front of the murals. Live performances and speakers will address political prisoners and prisoners' rights issues. For more information, freekamau.com. That's F-R-E-E-K-A-M-A-U.com. Ormwood Park Makers Festival has returned, and this year it's being held on Saturday, June 11th from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. in Ormwood Park. The event is presented by SAND, South Atlantans for Neighborhood Development, and CrossFit Downtown Atlanta, and was created to highlight the Ormwood Park community while providing a space for learning and creating. There will be music, food trucks, artist vendors, and Skillshare workshops by local makers. That's Saturday, June 11th from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m., the corners of Woodland Avenue Southeast and Delaware Avenue Southeast in Ormwood Park. For more information, the website is ormwoodpark.org. This is another public service announcement brought to you by your station for progressive information, WRFG Atlanta, 89.3 FM, WRFG.org. Don Omar, uh, Danso Kaduro, which was a huge worldwide hit a few years back. A few, probably 10. <laughs> uh, uh, we're speaking with uh, author uh, and professor uh, and PhD doctor, uh, Carlos uh, a, a Agenda. Agenda. Oh my gosh, gosh. Um, <clears throat> the book, uh, his third book is Coffee, Shopping, Murder, and love, and let's talk a little bit more about. Let's get into the the two characters, Charlie and Jignes. Uh, so Charlie, we'll start with him. Um, really, both characters. You know, I guess I want you before I put my stamp on it. I want you to see if you could just tell the audience who these two characters are. Uh, well, Charlie, yeah. Charlie is from the South, from Litchfield, Kentucky. And he was inspired by a very, very good friend of mine, who's actually a, a really nice, wonderful person, very sweet, very smart. Well, he talks a lot. <laughs> and uh, he, he loves his movies. And, uh, and uh, he's very uh, campy. And uh, we have this play where, I mean, uh, Charlie makes a lot of uh, snarky comments about other people and sometimes sometimes we make jokes like that but he's actually uh, my friend is very nice and I thought he had such a marvelous uh, uh, personality that that I should write about him so Charlie uh, has been um, taking advantage all of his life he's a pushover he's very gay he's one of those gays that cannot hide it he's very effeminate 
and uh, which I think is is wonderful. And uh, and uh, he moved to California, and because he has been abused all of his life, he wants to be rescued by someone else. He feels incapable of uh, pro progressing by his own uh, means, by by working and and stuff. So he needs money. He wants a husband, and he wants somebody with money. But this is. This is uh, the story said one year before uh, gay marriage became legal. So he doesn't even have hopes to have a find a husband, just somebody that rescued him. And um, so that's that's Charlie. Uh, he talks a lot, and uh, and he's a gold digger in his own words. And uh, the other character is Jignesh. He's Indian American. He's a slightly older than than Charlie, maybe like. I don't know, I, I don't specify that, but maybe five to 10 years. And uh, he is in the closet with his family and uh, he's overweight, he's bitter, and uh, he has never had a serious relationship and he's angry. And he represents, both Charlie and Jignesh represent like the extremes uh, of what a gay person can convert. They're, of course, caricatures and exaggerations, but the, I think uh, uh, when, when all of your life you have been rejected, when you feel that you don't belong, and when uh, you become angry and bitter, and, and I think this is very common in, in, um, among queer people. Now, uh, now you can see it especially on tr uh, transgender, especially transgender women, I mean, uh, they're angry and there's a good reason to be angry because you have been told all of your life that you're wrong. And uh, so Jignesh represents anger and bitterness and Charlie represents uh, su extreme superficiality and lack of self-confidence. And uh, I'm making it sound as <laughs> such a sad book, but that's, I play with that. It's a, it's a funny book. Uh, well, I, is, I laugh with it, it. It is it is a very funny book, but I I I think that you that is really powerful. Actually, what you just said because it's really both of them kind of grew up experiencing the same sort of oppression, but it's two different ways of dealing with it. Neither of yeah. which are really very healthy, but that's two different sides of it that's two different ways yeah they're 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 different strategies for survival jignesh <laughs> is big so jignesh is big and he can so he can be aggressive charlie is a small and and kind of feeble so uh he's he cannot be hostile to others had only uh the opposite he has to to be nice and, and superficial and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh yeah. and i also wanted to write about i mean uh Toxic positivity. Uh, now, that's an interesting term. I've never heard that before. Well, uh, when you go to social media and everybody's so happy and so successful and all that, it kind of depresses you. You feel that you're not as good. And, yes. Uh, and you're like, I mean, all that fake positivity is, is kind of toxic. And the things that make us laugh the most are... Uh, are those shows that they are, I mean, or novels or whatever, that they're shocking. They're shocking, but at the same time, uh, they're not uh, harmful. And uh, so when, 
when when you see flaws on other people on other ca- in, in character sorry they feel more real so that sometimes we are attracted to to characters that are flawed that have negative traits that are not happy all the time that can be angry like like Jignesh, because we're trying to get away of that toxic positivity and uh, i'm not saying that we shouldn't have happy characters but there's a little bit, uh, there should be a little bit of everything for everyone. And uh, so I wanted to stay away from that. My characters are awful. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. Yeah, I was like, I don't like either of these people, really, you know. But but over time, you still feel for them and root for them. Exactly. And that yeah. was my challenge. That was yeah. my challenge. There's a, there's a belief, which I think is wrong that we tend to root for moral characters. And then we, when we judge a character as immoral, we dislike them. But that's not, that's not how we choose who to root for. We're very selfish on deciding who we root for, our affective dispositions. We, we base those affective dispositions based on uh, how those characters make us feel personally. So it doesn't matter if Jignesh commits a crime, and it doesn't matter if Charlie... Uh, it's super superficial and greedy. What matters is how they make you feel and they make you laugh and you can feel their pain. You can feel compassion for these people. So you root for them. And uh, so that was my personal challenge. I'm going to create the most unlikable characters and I'm going to make the, the, the readers root for them and eventually like them because they can feel compassion for them and they enjoy uh, and they, and, and, and to, crave a happy ending for them no matter how awful they are well that's exactly what happened for me so um i think that you uh that you accomplished your task you know one of the things that that you had said when you were talking about toxic positive positivity and this sort of fake online social media presence that somebody puts on when i see that i see that on facebook you know, there's certain people, and I'm sure that we all have experienced this. You'll, there's certain people that I know that are on Facebook. They're posting five, ten times a day. You know, yeah. uh, one person I know, he, he, all he does is talk about whatever the latest movies are, whatever the movie he's watching. You know, and, and these people are, I feel a lot of loneliness. I'm like, wow, these people are really really lonely. And and, and it also reminded me of, um, I was at a bar, this was years ago. I was at a bar in um, Atlanta where you can eat dinner. It was more like a restaurant slash bar, but this kid was in there eating by himself and he's eating by himself. And then I see him stop and he's just kind of sitting there kind of eating, not, not really happy, not smiling at all by himself. And then like, he decides he's going to take a picture of himself, you know? So he puts a, puts a picture of himself to posts so you know he like uh-huh. smiles all of a sudden and holds the uh the the uh drink up to the thing and snaps the picture and then i'm sure he posts it on facebook and then goes back into what looked to be like you know lonely despair you know and i was like wow i actually was seeing this happening in real time <laughs> I, I, I and i think that's a, that's a huge problem on social media because these people are not being real and uh, and then when you see that uh, if you're young, especially, you may feel envious of all these people that look so beautiful or guys with big muscles or perfect skin, etc., and always happy. And you think my life should be like that. 
but my life is not like that. So you get depressed, but you don't know that those guys' lives are not perfect or they have to work, I don't know how many hours at the gym to get those bodies and starve themselves and et cetera. And uh, so I think it is healthy for everyone when we show imperfect, flawed, even awful characters, because when you leave the story, you feel like you feel happy but because you had a good laugh. And at the same time, you feel like my life is not that bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I think that's, yeah. that, that's, that's one of the reasons of the success of, um, uh, well, for the, for the gay world, Divine, who was awful. Uh, uh, we all love oh. her. Yes, and, uh, she's incredible. Yeah, uh, she was. She she's what I called a uh, the paradoxical positive effect of negative self representation. She represents the gay world, and it's a terrible representation. She's promiscuous. She's evil. She's greedy. She's dirty. She's unhealthy, and we just love her because she makes us laugh, and we can see a little bit of ourselves in her. Uh, especially on my generation, and I have to insist this on generational thing because the internet like was it's a wonderful thing i think but uh it uh, marks the uh well you know what i'm talking about you can uh, see you can see the separation that yeah, is occurred. Yeah. yeah there's definitely uh, a whole different world and reality for 20 somethings than there are for uh, you know for, for us for us uh that were born before the internet was invented uh we grew up thinking that there was something wrong with us that we were the villains so that's why we can identify with villains so easily. In the Disney movies, a lot of the uh, villains were gay or very campy. I mean, not overly gay, but very campy, like Ursula or uh, King uh, John, I think is his name, from uh, Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cruella de Vil is practically a um, drag queen. Uh, and you identify with those characters because you ha- have been told that you were the uh, pervert, the bad guy, the villain, the one that was wrong. New generations don't have to grow up with that, but that stays with you. And uh, so those are the characters in, in my story. Yeah. Um, and now, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that's why it resonates better with uh, older generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm one I'm, I'm wondering if there are people that would feel like you're perpetuating a negative stereotype and once again... You know, we're being uh-huh. portrayed as awful, horrible people, you know, but it sounds like those people just don't get the joke then. Yeah, I think at, at, at this point where there is, there, are, there is so much representation in media and we have gays all over, you can have all kinds of books. I mean, gay people come in all sizes, colors and flavors. So you can have characters in all sizes, colors and flavors too. And if all, if every, I mean, it, it makes me a little bit, sad when i see covers for gay books where they only show muscular handsome 20 somethings and uh well it, it is good i mean there there is an audience for that but but there's so much more than that and uh so we need we need that a, a very important thing for me in 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 my storytelling is representation and diversity uh so that's why i make a conscious effort to represent all the ethnic diversity in los angeles because that's the place where i live and uh i was going to ask you that because i wondered why you made uh jagnesh um uh, indian american indian yes and then there's someone of turkish descent in there as Uh well 
So, um, yeah, I wondered about that. Uh, well, Los Angeles is a very, very diverse place. I was originally inspired by a friend who's Indian American. He's completely different from Jignesh. He's super happy. Uh, but I thought, huh, uh, well, I mean, Nina is inspired also in a, in a true German girl. Ah. So they were very close friends and they were super happy together, but they were like a, like a funny couple. Uh, my friend was in his early 40s and uh, Nina was very young and very pretty and very skinny. And uh, so they look kind of funny and I thought I should write about these guys. Uh, so they're in, in real life, their relationship was really nice. But anyhow, uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted to portray the true diversity of Los Angeles. And, uh, and sometimes you make stories. I mean, I'm Mexican and I could have made my characters all Mexican, but that that would give uh, some sort of hint like this is for a Mexican audience. And no, my, my book, I wanted to make it for everybody. Uh, I would say it's very LA. So maybe my target audience is primarily people living in Los Angeles. They get, will get a lot of the jokes that other people won't get. Uh, but yeah, I made a con- conscious effort to include people, uh, to include as much variety as I could. You cannot include everyone but uh, and sometimes uh, a lot of people, especially I mean, I teach uh, a lot of my students who are white feel that they shouldn't write about non-white people because they think, oh, that would that wouldn't be proper because I don't know them that well and uh, and they should have their own voices and stuff. But media is still controlled mostly by white people, and uh, so. If you're a white writer and you're going to get published, make a, make use your white privilege to to show the diversity of this country, the diversity of this world. You don't have to have a a, a, a master's degree on uh, I don't know uh, uh, blackness to write, to have a black character. Just just give them a black name or just mention that they're black. Make make a race salient, and that's all you need because we're actually very, uh, very, very, very similar. Our differences are minimal. If, if, you, if, you, if you think about it, we're, we're just all the same. So just giving your characters a different name, that's all you need to, to have your uh, readers load the cassette. Okay, this guy is Turkish, or this guy is Armenian, or this guy is Chinese, or this guy is whatever. And that's, that's all you need. Uh, yeah. You don't need much. Well, that that's great. Uh, again, the, the book is Coffee, Shopping, Murder, and Love. Uh, thank you, Carlos, for uh, joining us. Um, it was a great read. Like I said, I read it in one day, uh, and it was hilarious, even though I hated the characters. Uh, I'll <laughs> compassion uh, for them. Uh, and uh, so thank you so much for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. All right. And this is going to do it. Uh, for um, alternative perspectives. Uh, next up, we have the Peach State Festival. Uh, if you aren't paying attention, it's June 7th, uh, Tuesday. Uh, have a good rest of the week, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>